Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. All right, this morning I'm uh, preaching again. I'm doing a kind of double duty here. We're continuing with Corinthians, but I want to pause a moment at Paul's description of Christ as the one foundation, uh, which is in Corinthians, but he's developed this concept elsewhere. We might consider it from many directions. He's the foundation of wisdom. He's the foundation, as he says in Timothy, of the truth. But maybe Paul's grandest claim or development of the concept is in regard to cosmology. In Colossians, he describes Christ as the source and the sustainer of all things, the cosmos itself. I believe this is the basic distinction between a Judeo-Christian picture of reality and every other religion, every other philosophy. Uh, Even the gods of myth exist in a, a chaos. They're gods, but they are themselves subject to the chaos, maleness and femaleness. That already exists. Very often it's the water. You know, this is there in the Egyptian myths or something in the world that is generated, but it's generated from out of an already existing chaos. In other words, the cosmos contains everything in these systems. We might say it's a closed cosmos. There's nothing outside of the cosmos. And in Paul's description, clearly God, Christ, are outside. They've created. But this notion of a closed system determines everything else, or you know what we believe about the cosmos. Uh, we could say it determines everything about how we conceive of ourselves. In many, or perhaps the majority of myths about the world, The world is actually generated sexually, male and female deities, uh, who are themselves subject to an already existing world that they're procreating in. What this means psychologically is that longing, desire, eros, you know, natural striving, are the primary fact about everything, because everything arises from that understanding, and this is true certainly in Indian thought, I think in both Hinduism and Buddhism. Though many of these myths are portraying, we could even say, you know, in the uh, Egyptian myth, the word that is used is none. There's nothing. But that none or nothing, there is already actually something from, you know, the chaos of the water. So it's always... I believe outside of the story, the the picture in Genesis, it is always uh, portrays a relative beginning. It doesn't get to an absolute beginning. So this, you know, for example, Zeus is subject to to the fates and the gods die. Very often the gods die, in fact, Uh, in both the Enuma Elish and in the Japanese myth. The the world is created from the dead body or from the body of the God. And so humans are pictured as arising from this chaos and they're continually seeking order through defeating death and chaos. 
In the biblical picture, and this is what Paul is going to describe if you look up Colossians, he's describing how God and Christ precede the chaos. He does not, God does not create from already existing material. He's not subject to laws, but he himself is the lawgiver. And so Christ, he says, is the foundation. In him all things hold together. So let's read Colossians 1, 16 to 20. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me skip down just a a couple of verses here that uh, in 123. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly and established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So from this what we might call the creationist tradition of the Bible, we can say several things about the nature of reality. First of all, that reality in this understanding is readable. That is, it it can be understood. We can see God's word and, and comprehend, discern his fingerprints. It's accessible through language that the entire universe is subject to a, a single code of law, and there's a single legislator. And human reason is itself a, a reflection of that lawfulness, that our minds are made to go together with the world. And the universe then, and this is pictured in Job and Jeremiah, but certainly here in Colossians, the universe is open to human comprehension. And this was, you know, in polytheism or in the world's religions, mysticism is the primary thing. But in Christianity, it's finite, and this finiteness means it's created comprehensible. And this is really the basis upon which modern science, you know, it it, it evolves. Even, we might say that science is a combination of Christian and Greek thought, but even Aristotle, when he looked at the heavens, he thought the stars were gods. He didn't think that the outer space and the space, or the, the earth, were of the same substance. But in this, there is a singular system. There's a drive for comprehension of the entire system and not a a multiplicity of schools of of thought. So we can say two things about the universe. And this, I'll read a couple of verses here from the Old Testament. That it is simultaneously inexhaustible, but comprehensible. That is, we can comprehend it, but there's no end to the comprehending it. Uh, This is what God says to Job. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? 
Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? He just goes on verse after verse, you know, saying, Do you know this? Do you know how the weather works? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear, you know, looking at the constellations with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heaven or fix their rule over the earth? He's saying two things in this verse to Job. I do. I know these things. I fix this rule. And it is comprehensible because I comprehend it. But I know you don't comprehend it. So in contrast to the unbounded, you know, that the universe is infinite, which would mean that it's incomprehensible. If it's infinite, we can't even begin to comprehend it. And the idea that it's, uh, the idea here is that it's literally comprehended by God and that we can begin to follow the mind of God after him. We can follow his fingerprints or find his fingerprints. So the cosmos is the creation of a rational God. And we can, we're made in his image and it follows that we then can think the thoughts of God after him. That it's not like in most, you know, the Indian or Eastern thought that there is a contradiction, yin and yang, or there is a, an ultimate incoherence. But scripture says God created the heavens and the earth, and it follows that the heavenly bodies even are part of the same substance. They're not different as Aristotle thought. And so this is one of the grand ironies of you know the modern period, if thinking of Galileo, that what he's saying is very biblical. Oh, the The heavens are not of a different order than the earth. And he's condemned by the Catholic Church because they, in fact, followed Aristotle. They didn't follow the Bible, that Aristotle was the official philosopher. But the sun, the moon, the stars in Joshua and Psalms move at God's command. He commands, Job 9, 7 says, the sun not to shine, and he sets a seal upon the stars. And the other thing is the heavens are an expanding heaven. That the universe is always pictured as an expanding universe. Job 9, 7, he alone stretches out the heaven. The picture is he unrolls it, you know, like a a large blanket. He counts the numbers of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Psalms 147. Great is our Lord, abundant in his strength, his his understanding is infinite. So like all the laws of nature, all of the, even, you know, God's laws, they may become enslaving. And here's the problem with, that we have in modern science that I'll come to in a bit. That there is the sense, oh, well, the laws are God. Well, that's also a problem. But to begin with an understanding, well, the, the universe is lawful, is a huge step forward. That nature is relative in the sense of being related to God, though. As well in the sense it's not self-originated. It's not self-determined. And so the Bible describes key characteristics of the universe that scientists now know is the case. They have the ability to measure that the universe is an expanding universe. You know, he stretches out the heavens that in uh, Psalms 104, you cover yourself with light as with a cloak 
stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. Isaiah 40, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. There's no square earth in the, in the Bible. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Again, an expanding universe and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Isaiah 42, God created the heavens and stretched them out. Again and again, Scripture has this idea. Creation from nothing, an expanding universe. We now know that's the the understanding that science has come to. Scripture also then consistently talks about constant laws of physics. In Jeremiah, the Lord thus says, The Lord, if my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob. He's saying, I've established the laws of the universe, and I'll never reject the descendants of Jacob. Both Genesis 1.1 and Hebrews 11.3 declare that the universe began to exist. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That is, that the invisible is behind the visible. Romans 8 speaks of a pervasive law of decay, of a second law of thermodynamics, as it's called. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation wakes eagerly for the sons of God, for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That in some way, the laws of the universe are part of the redemption of man. That creation itself is groaning. Now, many of these ideas that I just said would be accepted by modern thinkers. I'm thinking here of two people, Roger Penrose, uh, Stephen Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking. He actually died this March of this year. They believe, both of them, the universe has a beginning. They believe that it is expanding. In fact, Hawking, uh, Penrose, both, this is their work in describing an expanding universe. They believe the universe is comprehensible. That is, that we can understand it. They believe that the laws of physics guide it and that we can trace out how it works. Both are atheists, though. That is, you can believe all of these things, but this does not mean that you believe in God. Now, Penrose believes in something more than material existence. He's written about the human mind. He thinks that the mind is not simply reducible to the brain. But neither could conclude through their science, and this is their primary mode of thought. They could not conclude what, through what Paul would call the principles of this world, through the principles of science alone, they would not come to a notion of a personal creator. 
So Stephen Hawking's picture of the Big Bang posits the notion that the universe had a beginning, but he goes back, very interestingly, to the notion of an absolute law. He says, if you accept as I do that the laws of nature are fixed, we just said that, then it doesn't take too long to ask, what role is there for God? The universe itself, he says, in all its mind-boggling vastness and complexity, could simply have popped into existence without violating the known laws of nature. Now, he spent many of his years of research trying to come up with a system in which the universe would pop into existence. He really didn't succeed in that. He says, we have finally found something that doesn't have a cause. Listen, because there was no time for a cause to exist in. So Hawking wrote, for me, this means that there is no possibility of a creator because there is no time for a creator to have existed in. What he cannot do is conceive of anything beyond the laws of nature. He can't conceive of a lawgiver behind the laws. And so once again, we are thrown back on elementary principles. The law as absolute. He himself says, well, if you want to call the laws God, I guess you could do that. He says in a brief history of time that he wrote in the 1980s, I guess I was in college when I read this, we might posit God as the originator, but then he thinks he has a profound question. He says, but who created God? But what he cannot conceive of, of course, is the very beginning point of Christianity. That's where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is not part of the creation. He's the creator. Part of the seeming implication of Big Bang cosmology, that the universe had a beginning, would be to say that the laws of the universe, the laws of time and space, also have a beginning. And this is the usual understanding that when you talk about the beginning of the universe, there aren't laws of nature. They unfold only as nature unfolds with the material universe. As John 1.3 puts it, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's everything. If it, if it didn't exist, if it came into existence, then God did it through Christ, including the laws of nature. These are not immaterial. Hawking would reduce God to material laws. He assumes that God is at the level of the universe. And if you like, you can say, he says, the laws are the work of God. But he says it's more a definition of God than a proof of existence. But the Christian view has never been a God at the level of the universe. And I believe this is what Paul is saying, part of what he means in Colossians and Corinthians, that Christ is the one true foundation, literally the foundation of creation itself, that he's far above you know, uh, the, the creation on a totally different level of existence. He assumes, Hawking, that all things are temporal. This is, this is kind of, and it's almost, a, to prepare for this, I just watched briefly that, the uh, actor Morgan Freeman is doing, he does a, a special for National Geographic. And he went to the Vatican 
And the Vatican has its own observatory with its own astrophysicists. In fact, Big Bang cosmology was the, the positing of a, of a Catholic priest originally. And so he's, ed, he's interviewing the, the priest there. He's a priest scientist who's explaining, you know, they're showing these beautiful pictures of the heavens. And he's explaining that, you know, that God uh, is not part of the system, that God, you know, he, he uses the, the language of scripture, that he, he's unfolding the universe and it's still in the process of unfolding. And Morgan Freeman is there shaking his head like he understands then as soon as they get in the car to leave the Vatican, he's explaining to the audience what he, what he thought the priest said. And he said, now what he really means is that God is the laws of the universe. That God is time and space. In other words, it's almost like an, in, uh, an incapacity to comprehend. And I think that's what we encounter in the laws of science that made absolute or in myth made absolute, or in human thinking, that there is a point of understanding that people can go, and they can go no further. Thomas Torrance is a Christian scientist and theologian. He puts it this way, Theology and science should be seen as allies in a common front where each faces the same insidious enemy. Namely, man himself assuming the role of creator. Thomas Torrance is very fascinated with another scientist Christian named James Clark Maxwell. Maxwell is, is sort of a trailblazer, way ahead of Einstein and others for his time. He says, all fallow land is to be plowed up. And a regular system of rotation followed. That is, there's no place that we can't go. There's no research that we can't undertake. Never hide anything, be it weed or not, nor seem to wish it hidden. Again, I assert the right of trespass on any plot of holy ground, which any man has set apart. Now, I am convinced that no one but a Christian can actually purge his land of these holy spots. Christianity, that is the religion of the Bible, is the only scheme or form of belief which disavows any possessions on such a tenure. Here alone all is free. You may fly to the ends of the world and find no God, but the author of salvation. You may search the scriptures and not find a text to stop you in your explorations. What he's saying is the universe is open to be comprehended, but it is going to be comprehended only on the foundation of Christ. He is before all things, Paul says, and in him all things hold together. He goes on to say in Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I believe what we're encountering again and again 
are that people are incapable of going beyond these elementary principles apart from the foundation that has been laid in Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So philosophy, wisdom in Paul's estimate, religion, human capacities for thought, I believe are bound up with the elementary principles, with fate, with law, with human striving, with human notions of identity. Now this is not simply to be dismissive of these principles, but it is to recognize that human thought is limited. Paul says in Colossians 2.20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, to law? Do not handle, do not taste. I think we could say the same thing to Stephen Hawking, Roger Penrose. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. We're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. What is being described is a holistic world which would serve as an adequate basis on which to build a life, an identity, a system of thought, which involves all that we would include in culture, knowledge, philosophy, or identity as human beings. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.